Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched Boy Erased, directed by Joel Edgerton and released in 2018. The plot of Boy Erased goes something like this. A pastor's son is forced to participate in a church-supported gay conversion program after being forcibly outed to his parents. And as we usually do, uh, we'll do a bit of a spoiler-free section up front to tell you whether we think you should see this movie before we go in and talk about spoilers. So, Katie, should people see this movie? I don't know. I feel like probably if you're in sort of a certain age range, sort of like middle-aged maybe, and a straight person and don't know a lot about this stuff, then it's worth watching. It has some good performances in it. I, I didn't love it. Mm, me neither. Um, and I found it a bit sort of almost tedious in some parts to watch, but... I think it really would be beneficial to some people, and I really do think Lucas had just did a good job. So, yeah. at your own discretion, I guess. Yeah, it's it's been getting good word of mouth, but yeah, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. I think that there's probably a few problems that come from it being a real person's memoir that's been fictionalized. One of them is that I have problems with the the way the plot is structured. It's sort of I'm not, I don't want to say nothing happens because things happen. The way the story builds and then the climax feels, frankly, a little anticlimactic. Like mm. there were points at which I was like, "Oh, is is that all that's going to happen here?" And, and given that they um definitely fictionalized a lot of it because they fictionalized his name for mm. the movie, you'd think that they could fictionalize a plot. Well, yeah, you could take some license with you know mm. beefing things up for the drama and. Presumably there was, you know, negotiations around the guy who wrote the memoir and the fact that he clearly still has a, a relationship with his parents and they've gotten through to the other side of it. And so obviously he didn't want to be too hard hitting, but it also makes for a less impactful film to me. So, mm. yeah, like, as you say, Lucas Hedges is really good. Everyone else is Australian because clearly it was shot here or something. Mm. Um, and, and they're fine. If you can deal with the the accent thing, Nicole Kidman is always good, um, accent notwithstanding. Hmm. Yeah, I think we should probably get into like the the spoilery bit now. Yes, I think um, so. If you think we've got enough, people have gotten enough out of what we were just talking about. Yeah, I think you know, if you're interested, you'll know you're interested. But I was, yeah, I think we were a little disappointed by this one. Yeah, right. So, um, spoilers. Yeah. So in the spo- spoiler section, uh, there's a lot to unpack in this movie, like a lot to unpack in this movie, but. One of the things that really kind of struck me is a comparison to Love, Simon that Ah. I made early on in my head where, like, the main character is this kind of straight-acting good white boy who, like, follows all the rules and, you know, he's – so it's almost like it's giving the audience permission to to side with him Mm. um, and to sympathize with him. And it does exactly the same thing as Love, Simon, where there's like a more effeminate or there are a few more effeminate sort of gayer Mm. like side characters. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this comparison where it's like, oh, he's not that kind of gay. Yeah. And it's so icky to me and I really don't like it. And I also kind of, it kind of annoys me that that they almost make him out to be blameless because he hasn't actually acted on his homosexual urges. Like he's been raped. And he's like been interested in boys, but he isn't. He he never gets to kiss a boy. He we never see him actually like falling for boys, you know, in a sort of in a normal sort of way. Like he's just kind of he's still kind of really closeted at this point. I feel like I'm in a bit of two minds about that. And on the one hand, it seems like 
they were going for this idea that he was so repressed mm. that he never got to enjoy any, like he never got to not even, be even got to enjoy being gay. Um, yeah. But then they could have just had him like macking on boys afterwards. They well, had like him cuddling a boyfriend in yeah. a in a kitchen, and that's it. Yeah, and to me, it would have made a lot more sense. Like, so he gets raped, and he then he has to get over the trauma of that, which he does by sort of having a very chaste hand-holding time with this other boy who respects his boundaries. So he, he learns that it can be okay. Xavier, but like, who was so dreamy, by the way. Like, <laughs> I completely, I was like, yes, this guy. And he was only in one scene. <laughs> I sort of got why he went for, he um, fell for the rapist too, to be honest. He was like, yeah, pretty good looking. But there's no, like, that story needs three parts to be resolved. Like, you get the trauma, the recovery, and then have him fall in love and it be the first time and there's kissing and whatever. Because at the end, they're like, he lives in New York with his husband. Like, show us the meeting with the husband. Show us, like, some of that fun stuff of him Um, actually falling in love in a really healthy way where he's just himself and this is how he is. And also, yeah, that list that he did would be completed by a third person. But anyway, that that as well, I kept thinking that something would happen with Troy Sivan. Mm, yeah. Like, why have him there if you're not going to do anything with him? Yeah, exactly. But they didn't do anything with him. He gets one scene that's really good mm. um, where he talks about, you know, acting the part and everything. Mm. And it's a really good scene. And he's quite good in this, I thought. Yeah. Um, he did a really good job. And I was like, well, then use him. Like, have them mm. strike up a, a, a friendship and maybe do some kissing or something. Yeah. Like, do something with that but then he just leaves the conversion therapy place and then that's it yeah nothing happens Hmm. i was like what and we never even and then and then to me the biggest kind of blow i guess is that we hear him again on the soundtrack Hmm. at the very end of the movie and we haven't seen him again and we don't know what happened to him yeah like that's just an I know that it's based on a true story and everything, but they fictionalized enough that they could fictionalize a meeting to cl- close off that chapter of his life. Mm. You know, it's still just kind of left dangling. Yeah. I feel like this movie was made to be so much more about his parents, even though he it's not like centered mm. on them. Yeah. To like give them th- this, um, journey of like towards acceptance kind of yeah. thing and give them a bunch of outs for being horrible people yeah, and all who this has stuff. the best journey it's nicole kidman yeah right who's you know starts off one way good christian woman obeying her husband and eventually realizes something's going wrong because she's not that they don't want her reading the course material and then eventually realizes that something's gone really wrong and then so she comes in and saves him and picks him up when things get really bad for him at the a conversion place and like that's she gets a good arc right in that sense and then you know later on we find out that she's still christian but she can't you know subscribe to the same religion that she used to and the dad is also on a yeah a a bit of a journey too about getting to where he's going to get to yeah it is it's about the parents which Mm. probably explains why we keep hearing about it from middle-aged straight people yes but jamie also loved it so yeah (laughs) um and i just i'm struggling to see what it like because I also, like, years and years ago, and I really wanted to watch it again before we recorded, but I didn't get a chance, um, I watched But I'm a Cheerleader, mm. um, which is a kind of cult gay classic mm. comedy. And it's so different in its handling of the material mm-hmm. and kind of really sends up the concept of conversion therapy and everything. Yeah. But it is also a much more enjoyable and clever movie than this. Mm. It's not, like, got this kind of maudlin worthiness to it. Yeah, um, 
and it's so much more i feel like it's so much more from a gay perspective yes and also like man the cast of that is great it's yep. got like natasha leone and claire duval and rufio i should have looked up his name before <laughs> we started but it's so like it's kind of acerbic and funny and fun mm. right and really different from this and i i think this is much more effective in um getting the message out about conversion therapy and that it's bad and everything mm. but not really a better movie no i just yeah this one just was a bit beige it even looks beige yeah. um it's not shot that well and obviously being a certain you know type of christianity they're all all the boys are all and and sorry there are some girls in there as well they're all dressed in like khaki pants and white shirts all the mm. time so it's very sort of i found it a bit well the girls beige. have to wear skirts of course i found it a bit beige to look at the whole thing and it also the beigeness kind of carries through to how i felt about it it's not just that i mean i i personally was expecting it to be much more emotionally heavy and affecting yeah, yeah yeah than it ended up being i think the heaviest part of it the whole thing for me was the rape scene which i was like oh I really yeah that done was without horrifying to go through that especially since again it's a thing that even though it keeps kind of cropping up in conversation later or like keeps being hinted at mm. it doesn't get closure on it no we, we aren't his recovery this is the thing is that yeah. like Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe are given arcs and closure and stories, mm. but Lucas Hedges, the main character, is, is kind of left with all of these hanging sort of things. Yeah. And, and I feel like his in his acting has shown the kind of journey mm. that he's gone through, but the plot isn't serving him well, mm. um, and I find that frustrating. Yeah, and I mean, it is. Like, that rape scene is really intense. It's probably the most intense scene of mm. the whole film. And if you're going to put us through that, if you're going to shoot that, you need to have, like, that needs to be a bigger thing and he needs to work through that over the course of the movie because he's the main character. I think he is working through it over the course of the movie, but it's all in, like, it's all implied. Yeah, and then the Xavier they, thing, I guess. And they don't give us an actual moment of closure for it. No, no, because after um, Xavier, there isn't, like, a just a, a normal, healthy, falling in love with the boy thing. No, and also because um, he doesn't ever like say i was raped he doesn't ever you mm. know we don't ever get that moment of mm. him like living his truth and yeah. that sort of thing about it and the kid um, that did it has done it before and presumably he's going on to do it again like, there's nothing there about that closing like he clearly that guy is clearly targeting kids yeah well he was i mean he was the same age as yeah the but people he's that- clearly targeting other kids his age through church yes. and stuff i don't know that that's necessarily true i think he was just targeting anybody that he thought was sort of vulnerable in his vicinity because he mm. was already at the church and he was already at the university it's more of a convenience thing i think for him than a yeah yeah than a like but also going after pedophile church. type thing oh yeah no the same age but going after good church boys well is the like thing is the, they are, the they're impl- less likely to you know say something about it because they're more likely to feel great shame about it i don't know the implication of this movie is that the entire world that he lives in is this do you know what I mean? Like we never see anybody outside of a church world mm. until he goes and moves away yeah, and yeah. we see like actual black people. Mm. The whole His whole world is like that religious co- college that he, seen, he yeah, went yeah. to, his church, his home that's very religious. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have anything. Like it just seems to me 
in the setting of this universe, mm. everybody is church people. Yes. So I don't even know if this guy is targeting church people so much as the only people that he has mm. available to. Like, yeah. And I, but see, I, 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 I feel, feel like there's like, an element of he's getting away with it because. Yeah, I yeah. think that part of what they were going for with that, especially his moment afterwards, is that like homophobia hurts people in different ways mm-hmm. and that he's doing these things because he sees no other he sees no other option Mm. but he is a terrible person i'm not trying to let him off the hook i'm just saying that like i think that sort of going into this idea that he's like a predator and and that sort of thing is not really what the movie is going for with him so much as like he is just like society is damaging all of them yeah and it's damaging lucas hedges even more through him yeah yeah you know what i mean like it's not that's what I felt like the movie was trying to get across mm. rather than like, oh, this terrible predator has also preyed on him and all this sort of mm. stuff. That mm. is kind of, yeah, and, and he probably will rape people again because he just like, you know, has started doing it now and it's it's that's really depressing to think about. Yeah, it is. Um, that's, but that's, that's the thing. Why, like, that's, that's the why, hardest part of the movie. Yeah, and that's why I wanted some resolution, even if it's mm. not like – this guy gets justice if you know we see our guy our main guy who we like you know we see him get through to the other side to something that's really happy and at the very end underneath a troy savant song with no dialogue we see him go into the kitchen and hug a boy from behind presumably his boyfriend no that's the different that's with the fleet foxes oh, fleet Fox, right oh no no song. it was mgmt yeah sorry and then oh electric feel Oh, that was what the song that you said was in that. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, I didn't hear the white hymnal in this movie. It was funny because it was <laughs> we got like mixed up then. The the, time, the era this is set in is like from 2004, 2007. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we, we went to a few house parties in 2007 okay. listening to that music and like yeah. hanging out like that. Because they're, they're even sitting there playing cards, which I'm like, yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. These nerds are us. <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was really interesting the way that like it gives him so much of these things that are just like – to make him better than all these people around him mm. like he sees through the bullshit and they don't and you know he's got all these things that aren't, don't fit into the narrative that joel edgerton's trying to build for him mm. and all these things like i feel like that's why we really needed more of a relationship between him and troy savan mm. to like give the other kids more agency as well yeah um and give them like more of a voice through him because it yeah. seems really like they're not not kids they're not all kids either but it really seems like you know they're not um they just seem dumb do you know what i mean they just seem like they're stupid rather than they're being taken advantage of because they don't see through these problems that the center is having but but jared does i didn't find that about them so much i just felt like really sad for them like especially the big guy cameron yeah and like um, probably to be fair is a bit dumb (laughs) yeah and the the little kid who gets hit by baseball and their parents come and pick them up very early like that sort of the 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 kid that was there to be in um direct opposition to lucas hedges by showing how small and feminine he is Mm. whereas lucas hedges can hit a baseball yeah. Yeah. Um, like, that, I, I, I didn't think they were stupid. I just felt really sorry for them. But, it, but you're right. But Troy Sivan has so much charisma and is so clearly good that why wouldn't you have used him more? Yeah. Uh, and then I came down to, well, they only paid him for certain amounts of time. and But he was yeah. in all those background scenes. They could have used him better. But um, I, I don't mean that, like, the movie is portraying these people as dumb. I mean that, like, by making Jared be able to see through all of this and be able to get away and be able to confront Joel Edgerton and everything. 
it makes the other kids in comparison just seem like they don't have any agency by not doing do you know um, what i mean yeah, it I gives mean, him all the these small extra tools kid, though the small kid tells his parents what's gone on the parents yeah. like no way we're taking him home this is irresponsible of you yeah so i mean that kid has a little bit of agency there i don't True. know i just don't think they i don't i don't know i didn't feel that way about them i just felt like they were I, stuck I, in this horrible system and they're in like some arkansas or somewhere where they're really like you were talking about before there really is no other world outside of church like this is a place where you go to work at the Ford dealership, which to be fair, owned by the pastor, but like you go to work and everyone expects you to get in, have a prayer. You play a basketball game, you pray before the game. Like it's a, the culture is so oppressive. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been nice to see that a little more, like to, Mm. to give them that and, and to really show him not be able to go back and help because they're in that trapped by the society thing. Like it, the movie seemed to be so focused on just like, teaching straight people what conversion therapy was and going Mm. you may start out as nicole kidman at the start of this movie but by the end of it you can be nicole kidman at the end of this movie kind of a thing that it doesn't (laughs) care about Mm. how society is like holding these kids down and trapping them Mm. and and giving us the closure on what happened with them and giving us the closure on what what happened with jared and stuff it's it's it's, straight it's so it is. And it's so um, focused on giving us that story that it doesn't mm. – it, it is really lacking that gay perspective, I think, mm. as a straight person. Yeah, like, we, well, we were talking about this. I think this would have done a whole lot better with a gay director. Yeah, Xavier like, Dolan directed it as well. Yeah, who has a small part in it. I mean, the guy who wrote it, who wrote the memoir, like, it would have been nice yeah, if he could have found a, a gay writer and director to work with to make the film of it. I think he, it probably would have been different. Well, I feel like he I, – I, I he's think, credited as a writer here. Yeah. So. But I think it was more that Joel Edgerton wanted the rights to the thing rather mm. than Gerard Conley was looking for Con Con Yeah, Gerard Conley. Conley. I assumed it was Gerard. But... I don't know. Well it's spelled G A R A R D, like the jewelers. Yeah. But, so I just thought Gerard, but I don't actually know. It could just, be Gerard. It's not a hurt name I've heard before. No, it's a weird I thought it was name. a funny spelling of Gerard. Anyway, um, it doesn't <laughs> – we don't know him and it's speculation. Um, but yeah, it seems like more like this was an he just wanted to make the film and you know i appreciate that he that he does want to get the message out about this mm. but also like it, it's actually a pretty tame conversion therapy place from a lot of the other stories yeah, i've seen and from heard a lot of stuff yeah um yeah. up until that like straight up physical abuse of the of the bigger kid mm. um which was very hard to watch and yeah. also everybody else is just going along with it and you're like wow okay and also there's so much cultiness to it which we should get in too soon Mm. but also like i actually felt okay so going into this movie i thought i knew who xavier dolan was yes (laughs) and it turns out i did not (laughs) like i i know like who he is conceptually Mm. i know he's like in sort of this enfant terrible like canadian director who's like very big on the arty circuit Mm. um and whose movies are very kind of popular in that kind of indie artsy yep movie circuit but are probably too intense for a lot of people probably myself included they look quite intense like he made um j'ai tué ma mère and which is why i thought that he might be the other guy who was called xavier in the movie as well which is doubled down on my confusion Oh um, no no yeah who and has a, a sort of foreign sounding accent yeah yeah um and also but also said he came like via Canada mm. like Vienna and then Canada and I was like oh that makes sense <laughs> but no he's he was the 
much more American sounding guy who everybody thought was in the military because he was saluting and he mm-hmm. wouldn't touch anybody and gradually got like darker eyes, <laughs> eye circles as the movie went on. But I actually thought he was really good. Yes. Like he struck me as really talented from his first scene. And I was like, I really want to get a better grasp on this character. Yeah. And like to understand him more and stuff. His scene with Lucas Hedges was so intense when he was talking to him about um yeah. about helping the big footballer kid. It was so mm-hmm. intense. It felt it was just like electric with potential of him like telling on Lucas Hedges or something like that, you know? Yeah. And then he just kind of fades out of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. So disappointing to me that they- I know, like they get some this person who's so intense and memorable and charismatic, same as Troy Sivan. Like yeah. you, if you hiring these guys to be in the film, put them like in the film. you kind of, and they're not using them, they don't come back. Like it's just yeah. weird. I also kind of feel like Joel Edgerton. There's a misstep for him in him casting himself as the leader guy. Yeah, maybe, but he I- didn't quite strike me as cult leadery enough. And or charismatic enough to do it. it yeah, okay. See, I actually – his performance is one of the things I liked the best that he did. Oh, um, it, I was and he not just, a huge fan. Uh, the, the whole, like, <laughs> repressed masculinity thing, like repressed yeah. sort of thing that he was, had going on, he just – and he looked very ordinary, which is another thing that uh, Russell Crowe also – his performance wasn't great, Oof. but he looks very ordinary. Like, he looks like an ordinary person and – that kind of like beige khaki pant wearing pasta that just struck me as the right thing for that for both of them but for Joel Edgerton in particular I thought it was kind of good don't understand Russell Crowe I don't understand the concept around Russell Crowe that he is a prestige actor because I can't (laughs) think of anything that I've ever seen him in where I thought gee he was really good in that (laughs) actually thought the like he was pretty good in that terrible Tom Cruise mummy movie. Yeah, yeah, he was. Because he was not acting like a prestige actor. He was overacting and being campy, right? Like, but whenever mm. he's doing, like, prestige stuff, I'm like, God, he's dull and he's not – I don't get anything from him. Like, I just don't understand why people like him so much. I don't mm. – um, but yeah, like I thought physically he looked right. And in fact, he bears quite a resemblance to, to the, the guy, gut, yeah. to the real father. But yeah, he, I don't know. There, I didn't hate it completely. Obviously, like things like accent and stuff are an issue there. But also that kind of man who walks around throwing his weight around like he owns the place aspect of Russell Crowe was, I, I get why they would cast him. I just don't necessarily think he's the best person for the job. Yeah, but that I didn't really feel that as much as I could have. Mm. Um, and yeah, it I just think felt again, a bit awkward. But to I be think honest. again, it's because it, the movie's too much on his side. Yeah, it's just too much on his side. Also, okay, this is not actually relating to acting and stuff. Um, but the movie does this thing where there's like all these slow mo shots, oh. and it's in weird places. Like, let's watch Lucas Hedges climb stairs in slow motion dramatically, <laughs> and I'm like, why? Why do we have to watch? It's already boring at this point. Yeah, and ha- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially we we watched Widows today, and Widows has some like long takes that are kind of cool, um, yeah. which we'll get into. In, obviously, when we review that movie, but that's, this is the thing. Like, this is why I found the movie not very well sort of shot it just felt like it was someone who's got an idea about what good movies look like but hasn't quite executed it yeah Um, it it, it actually made me think of movie that joel edgerton was in as an actor a couple of years ago loving which again movie about like 
an important civil rights thing that was directed by a white guy and mm. it, it was sort of the same kind of problems. Like it was mm. just a bit beige and, and also based on some true stories and the family were involved and so watered down a bit. And, and he cast himself and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not and just sort of like it seems pretty tame in comparison to the the drama that the story should bring. And yes. it, they, the two movies really remind me of one another. It's almost like he watched Loving and went, I could do that. Yeah. Both set in the American South. Both. Oh, didn't he direct it? No, no, no. Another guy called Tim something directed it. I just looked it up. Um, He didn't actually direct it. I thought he directed it. Yeah, I had there too. But no. Where is it? From 20. 20- Did he produce it? Uh, maybe. Hang on, where is it? I could have sworn he was behind the camera in some, in some yeah, fashion. Yeah, the guy director is called, movie. sorry, Jeff Nichols. He looks like a Tim. Look at that. That, okay. that. that guy played college football for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But like, there's a lot. There's a lot in common. It's like it's a bit well preachy, to be honest. Yeah. Like it kind of wants to teach the good white folks a lesson, kind of thing. And and again, it has like a really strong performance, like mm. you know Ruth Negger in Loving. Yeah, yeah. A really strong performance in a movie that doesn't quite warrant it. And mm. I feel like the same thing with Lucas Hedges in this and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Nicole Kidman's accent was oh boy all over the place, but. She was really good in oh, this. Oh, bless her heart. She was wonderful. And, like, the whole – just the whole – um, the way she'd start – they'd styled her as well, like, mm. with the fake nails and the the big hair, which at the end they show a picture of the real mum, and it's almost like Nicole Kidman's hair was understated in comparison. The same as when – in Lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw the real hair in Lion, and you're like, oh, wow. Mm. The whole – and the good Christian mum of the early aughts aura that she just mm. – and, and the fact that she's so skinny as well, like, that, that sort of – she puts off this aura of like um, holding on so tightly to control all the yes. time, and and part of that is because of her really thin, tall body. Like, and it just and, and but she also she actually kind of moves in certain ways in this that mm. aren't her normal style. Mm. I think she she, she internalizes and like when because she, she's got that I've been raised as a good Christian girl, and so you see her like holding on to herself to not speak at certain times because mm. she's been raised to be a good girl who doesn't rock the boat with the men kind of thing. I feel like she internalized this character quite well. Yeah. Um, and she really – Well, she's got experience with cults, right? True. Um, Very true. She's, as a young woman, she was caught up in a religious cult, so she's probably got some experience. Like she was 20 or something when she married Tom Cruise. Yeah, but she – I mean, um, watching that Scientology documentary – she wasn't ever actually in Scientology. No, she And that was, was too- a big problem for them yeah. in terms of Tom Cruise because um, Nicole Kidman was pulling him away from it. So, yeah. like, she does have experience, not that she doesn't have experience with cults, but she, she lost would- her children to the cults. So, yes. yes. And she, but she never was in it. She no, no. resisted it pretty yeah. well. But, um, so she's got a lot, she knows what that's like. And uh, mm. she probably did internalize a lot of that. I think she was really good in this. I, and I, you know, not always her biggest fan so mm-hmm. it means something i think yeah and um, when that. she and lucas hedges were together as well it was um, good yeah yeah they had more chemistry than she and, and russell crowe did but i'm not talking like sexual no, no no just like genuinely generally yeah. in terms of, like xavier dolan and, and lucas hedges also had chemistry yeah. you know yeah. in a, it was a negative used in a negative way in the movie but you felt the connection between mm. them as mother and son much more than any connection between him and Russell Crowe or her and Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that they did with their marriage was weird. It just felt kind of awkward all the way through, like they didn't really know each other. Yeah, yeah. It did, actually. Like two people who just met each other pretending that they like one another. Yeah, it, it never really rang true at all. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think she was good. I think Lucas Hedges was 
I mean, he's very talented kid. Yeah, so um, talented. This movie would not it could possibly have been almost unwatchable if he had mm. if they'd, they'd cast somebody worse than him in the lead. Oh yeah. I do now want a movie where he and Timothy Chalamet play boyfriends. So. Yes, please give the people what they want. Exactly. But um yeah. I I think also like we and some of the other people in the audience were laughing at certain points in this movie mm-hmm. that were definitely not supposed to be laughed at. Yep. Like the religious fervor is so strong and I think also cuz we're an Australian audience. Yeah. And we like, just don't have that culture here. Yeah, and it's it's such a strange culture to be dropped into, which is why I think But I'm a Cheerleader is so good because they mock a lot of it, mm. whereas this one presents it very straightforward mm. and also doesn't imply that you're a bad person if you're in it, and yet it's so terrible. Like everything that the religious people do in this movie is so terrible and everything that religion does to them in this movie is so awful. Well, I think, and I think it's partly because it is memoir, it's actually quite nuanced. He's saying this conversion therapy was bad, but I don't think all of it is bad. I don't think I don't think he fully rejects being raised in that culture, yeah, or that or God or his parents. And like Russell Crowe as a preacher is actually a pretty decent guy. Mm. He's not like it's not something. It's not for me. I would not cope in that. But he's like he doesn't preach about this. He doesn't preach this stuff from the pulpit. He's preaching about like you know, how people aren't perfect and how we all need to, you know, walk the talk of our beliefs every day. Like he's not a bad – like the thing is that the the church isn't shown as bad all the time because it isn't for him. Mm. And part of that I think comes from actually being a a memoir of a real person. I think – but I think the problem with that is that um, it all becomes so insidious and we're only now reaping the the consequences of it always being under implied and behind the scenes and insidious – Mm. the homophobia and the rejection of do people different from mm. you and now it's come out into the open again yeah. but at the time that this movie was set it wasn't really out in the open yeah. in the same way and um that's really kind of sad and upsetting but yeah um i i and it's interesting that you say that as well about that just being dropped into this culture when like joel edgerton's not a mm. southern christian guy you'd think he would be just as interested in this alien culture as other people yeah I'm going through my notes now. Oh, the very opening scene. I wonder how they did the opening where there's like the videos of him when he was little. Yeah, I know. But it really looks like like a oh, that- younger Russell Crowe is talking to him. That it, I was strange. thinking the little boy looks like a really good young Lucas Hedges. Yeah, he does as well. Like I I was like, oh, maybe this is real young yeah, Lucas Hedges. Yeah, yeah, that's Hedges. what I thought as well. But then like it – and then I was taken aback because there's a guy who looks like a young Russell Crowe. Mm talking to him and i was like wait so i was just curious i didn't actually look that up but maybe they spent some of their limited um budget on that i could feel the limited budget so hard in this <laughs> movie and i think some of the problems not all of them but some of the problems with it definitely come from having a limited budget yeah. and them spending a lot of it on good actors yeah yeah which yeah if you're gonna like if you've got the money that's a good place to invest it mm. but um, you could definitely feel the pinch, like very limited locations yeah, and um, very limited kind of time in the locations, it seemed like, mm-hmm. to get things done, stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't. There's no one in the credits as like young Jared or young whatever Russell Crowe's character name is, so it may be that they did do some of that or they found some video of, of Lucas. They had some video from Lucas Hedges' parents or something. Mm. I, I think the movie also was not written very well. Nope. Um, it's, it's so – a lot of the dialogue is so – so on the nose that I actually noted it down. Things like Russell Crowe says, fine, upstanding gentleman or something similar 
two or three times in this movie, yeah. like uses that exact. Very novelistic type writing, really. But also that is a phrase like fine upstanding, my fine upstanding son yeah, yeah. is a phrase mm. that has like a very specific meaning. Mm. There's nothing subtle about that. If he's saying my fine upstanding yeah. son, it means I expect him to be a certain way in our society mm. and he is not. Yeah. And he does the same thing later with the two um, priests. He says, mm. fine, upstanding gentlemen. And then very end of the movie, he said something about seeking out the counsel of men wiser than me and all these things mm. that are so, they're very heavy cliches. Yeah. Um, and don't sound like anything a the, real person no, would say. No, they don't. Not at all. Um, and then there's also a moment when um, Flea, who I also quite enjoyed in this movie actually, says to one of the girls, come on, you delicate flower. Yes. And you're like, oh, God. Mm. <laughs> like, people don't say that, do they? And if they do, everybody would laugh, right? Yeah. Like, this is a, there's at least a few teenagers in this group. They would just laugh at you. Yeah, for saying stuff like that. Yes. Um, yeah, no, he was quite good with what he was given, actually, Flea, mm. um, because he was able to, like, he was able to kind of use how he looks, which normally mm. he's a total teddy bear, to make him menacing. Mm. Like the the rock star thing becomes menacing when you put it in a guy who has internalized all this straight-laced stuff. Well, he's not gay, though. No, he's not. So also like, no, but he like, has but, genuine, not, not internalized, no. but genuine homophobia. Yes, that's right. But he's, I mean, he's internalized all the other stuff as well yeah. about what a man should be. Like his whole thing is teaching them how to be men. <laughs> By doing the Wonder Woman pose. I know. <laughs> the manliest pose is the Wonder Woman pose. <laughs> Triangles, Katie. Triangles. Triangles. I just thought that was so and, and, funny. And you notice when um Lucas Hedges gets in the car to leave, he actually stands in the door of the car with his yeah. hand on his hip and also the car door makes a triangle. But the thing is, like, the hand on the hip pose is quite feminine. It is. So it's really feminine. funny. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, it just shows you that what's masculine what's feminine is all crap. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, also, there's a bit where they're talking about um, – homosexuality is a choice and look at the consequences of these choices and mm. all I could think in my mind was don't have sex or you will get AIDS and die. Everybody have a condom from Mean <laughs> Girls. <laughs> like it was all I could think yeah, about I because know. it's got AIDS in giant letters uh. like on the board and you're like this it's just so like over the top yep. that I can't think of a single school that I could walk into and not have kids laugh me out of the room if I did if any you said of that. this yeah, stuff. Exactly. And that's the, another reason why it just strikes me that it seems like the kids are dumb because, like, this stuff that they're teaching them is so – I mean, it's so not like young it, people. It's like it was just written by people who couldn't, haven't remembered being young. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like, you know, maybe kids who grow up in that culture are much more straight-laced, but even in that culture they're still, you know, giggling and stuff. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was notable that they were making them um, confess on camera to things, oh, which is very Scientology. Yeah, but that's what made me think of Scientology, that you have to do a moral inventory and it also they capture it on tape. So that they can blackmail you later. Yeah, exactly. No, that was what made me think of Scientology yeah, me when too. I saw it. And then there's more later that's quite, quite Scientology-ish. But, mm. but the, and the moral inventory too. Like go through your family tree and see where all the um uh all the addiction and abortion and possible homosexual tendencies are. Yeah. And and equating all of those things. Yep. And making them all seem equally bad when some of them are just like fine. Yeah. There's um there's this <laughs> blogger I read occasionally who writes under a pseudonym who is an ex like fundamentalist Christian mm. and she talks about how um Christians don't have the same concept like most normal people when they think about 
um, sexual morality, think of consent and not consent. Like if something is happen- happening between consenting adults, that's fine and everything else is what's bad. But the Christians have this uh, – these this type of Christian – has this t- this very narrow idea of sexuality as being between one man and one woman in the context of marriage and everything outside of that being bad. Yeah. And you, the, even the way it's but written, even within written in that. circles, yeah, and um, sex being about like conceiving of children and all that. Mm. And even the way they set it up with like the circles of like this is what's good and then another circle of like if you if you choose the other lifestyle, you'll have AIDS <laughs> and like rape. And they, they have no concept of the idea that like within – a heterosexual marriage there can be rape mm. or abuse and it's like just the way of conceptualizing things is completely insane yeah and very different and doesn't fit in yeah there. it doesn't make sense like most people have like a like rem- an, a natural inherent idea that like anything if it's consensual and it's not not abusive and like that's fine but and people can tell like there's a like there's a difference but they're trying to in this kind of thing teach them that 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 all of these things are equivalent and therefore gay equals rape and abuse. Mm. And there's that moment when Russell Crowe earlier on is talking about like the greater the uh, humans only have one right mm. and that's to conceive of babies. I know. And God. bring new life and God what gave us this gift. And I was like, hell. what are you talking about? Mm. Like know. surely we can do more than so that. So why don't you only have one kid? Yeah. Like – you you don't think like did did God mean for you to struggle with infertility so you only had one kid I don't or know or did you guys use um, um protection, protection so you, you only had one kid mm. like dude you can't give that lecture to your only child there's this bit um Cherry Jones plays the doctor mm. um and she's I was like, going to talk about that it's not my place to tell you that your parents are wrong but they are um and trying to like you know help him out a bit mm. i feel like really you could have done more as a doctor but i mean she was I pretty good what she like, was trying to do she was she was like well you're 18 and so it's like he can make the choices so yeah. i'm not going to take the blood if you don't consent to it like she was doing her job i think pretty well again given the context that she's in I'm he was surprised lucky that there was she- one person in his life that was like that with him at that stage. Yeah, but uh, I don't know how much she helped. But also, I was surprised that she didn't just say like, "Oh, your dad's making me te- like test for testosterone levels." You know, that has nothing to do with your sexuality, right? Well, also, I clearly had his dad had asked to do an AIDS test. Oh, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. I genuinely, I, I, I bought but into it. But the- I also, yeah, I also think that she wouldn't have done it. Like she wouldn't have given someone a sneaky STI test without no. their permission. But I, I just thought he genuinely wanted to get his testosterone yeah. levels checked because he thought he that was, he wasn't manly enough. Yeah. Yeah, and no. I'm like, yeah, but that has not. And also, like, that's the that's the thing about this movie and and so many of these movies in terms of like they want to make a protagonist that straight white men can see themselves in, so mm. they can't make him anything other than a perfect person Mm. who plays baseball and basketball and goes for runs and acts very straight and believes in God and all of this stuff Mm. who is also gay and never like, he doesn't ever make any mistakes or any, he doesn't have any flaws. Mm. Like the only flaw, like it really implies the only flaw in his character is that he is gay. Mm. Like it's really nasty and it doesn't mean to be, they're trying to be, you know, accepting, but what it ends up being is just saying, um, Oh, his only flaw is that he's gay, but that's okay. We all we're all imperfect. Yeah, it's and, really shitty. Yeah, and the thing is, like, it, this kind of therapy is more likely to be targeted at kids who look like Troy Sivan, you know, who look a bit different mm. or effeminate, or who who don't act in traditionally masculine ways, or girls who are you know cut their hair short or want to play sport, or that that guy who um 
worked for them in the blue shirt. Oh, yeah, who one of the, the counsellors. Yeah, yeah he's, who with presents the, as really effeminate. Yes, and was clearly um, repressing it. Very much repressed, yeah. yeah. The, the only, there was like one moment of humour in the whole movie, which was where his mum got the, the book. And he was like, oh, there's tons of spelling yeah. errors, errors. I want to mark up a copy. And I was like, okay, I feel personally attacked because the number of times that I've gone to like courses or anything and just wanted to hand back a copy of the thing that people gave me with all of their mistakes highlighted is a lot. And then they, they showed Nicole Kidman reading it and they've misspelled God as dog. dog. <laughs> and she's like, almighty dog. Yeah. Yes. And then for the whole rest of the movie, I was like, don't you mean dog? Um, also, it's interesting that the movie kind of implies that I thought the movie was kind of going for an idea that his type was like more kind of feminine presenting, which would have been really cool, mm. actually. Like it would have been it would have really made up for the problems with that stuff if he had been like. Mm, but, in, and especially if he'd been into Troy Sivan and things like that. You but know? they show him going after muscly, sporty guys other than Xavier. Well, that's why I thought that they were going to go down that choice of fun, which would have been better. Yep. I'm just saying. I did, as much as I don't like a lot of the things, the scene where he does stand up to Joel Edgerton is quite good mm. and felt so kind of real. It felt so much like all the things that we wanted to say mm. through the movie and him finally getting to say them. Yeah. Again, kind of a missed opportunity for him to not go, I'm angry because, you know, I was raped by somebody and nobody believes me and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I haven't told anyone because of carrying. Yeah. It's interesting though because he doesn't, he, he knows that that's not his fault, right? Yeah. And, and he, he says clearly that's knows, not my sin. Yeah. He clearly knows that he's been sinned against and he didn't sin there. He Yet, yeah, he doesn't, um, no, he doesn't take that opportunity. Which is a bit, yeah. I mean, but I appreciate him standing up to Joel Edgerton and it kind mm. of makes Joel Edgerton seem so small. Yeah. Um, and then them trapping him there and, and Flea holding him back and then, the big kid pushing him off. But also, like, how telegraphed was that kid's suicide? Yeah, well, we thought it was – Um, we thought it happened mm-hmm. when they had the fake funeral. So, mm. But, yeah, from the beginning I was like, oh, somebody's going to commit suicide. Well, I mean, and they then- have to. But and even that, though, is kind of sanitized. Like, it happens mm-hmm. off screen. The police show up to tell and him about it. And we don't hear him tell them, like, what yeah. he said. We don't hear whether he gets to tell them that – that yeah. place was terrible and probably caused it or anything. No. It's all off ca- – like, ugh. I know, the most interesting stuff. Because they, again, they only show the bit at the end of it where, like, he glares at his parents and then they let him go upstairs and Russell Crowe goes to go after him and then they have the most dramatic door-closing moment in history. Like, it's not about him. It's all about them. Mm. Anyway, we can give this a rating if you like. Sure. Um, God, three stars. I'm going to say two and a half stars. I don't think it's really that good. Like, I I think the performances are really good and lifted a lot, but overall it's just not very good. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.